in my case, it was, it felt like it was almost entirely a mental game. So I would say being able to think about like a bigger picture and to try to get your head out of, out of the, like the suffering, you know, and to just kind of take a step back and try to, um, accept things as they are a little bit rather than to be really, um, resistant. This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier and happier life. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast. We love sharing happy stories, positivity, transformational methods to improve inflammatory arthritis. And today we're going to hear from Taylor, and she's in the beautiful Vancouver, Canada. And Taylor has made tremendous improvements with her rheumatoid arthritis. And she's going to say good day right now and tell us what uh, that looks like for her. Hi, Clint. Thanks for having me on. It's so, it feels so special for me. Like things have come full circle because during the times when I was the sickest and had the most pain and couldn't stand and things like that, I would watch your podcast and it would kind of give me hope. Like if it worked for all these people, it's got to work for me eventually. And so now to be on the podcast, it feels really special. Yeah. So thanks for having me on. I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis in uh, April of 2018, but the symptoms started probably about six months before that. It was a little bit tricky for me to finally get that diagnosis because I didn't have the rheumatoid factor and things like that in my blood. But I was immediately put on sulfasalazine, which worked really great. I got pretty close to remission after taking that for a few months. But then about Another another year after being diagnosed, it kind of came back again with a vengeance. I got super sick again, but this time in more joints than I had it originally. So then I was put on methotrexate, which I took for another period. But luckily, about, oh God, what has it been like 12 weeks now? 12 weeks ago, I stopped taking methotrexate so that I could get um, a dental surgery. And after recovering from the surgery, I just realized I I had like literally zero symptoms and it was the first time in the entire three and a half years that I had had nothing. I felt totally normal again. So I talked to my doctor and we agreed I could stay off the methotrexate and if things keep going as they're going, I'll be off sulfasalazine probably in September. It is uh, very, very uh, positive sounding, isn't it? I mean, 12 weeks off methotrexate that is, you know, no longer contributing to any of the uh, symptom reduction that you've experienced. So that is out of your system, well and truly. And compared to where you were, I mean, um, you've, I went back through your journal in the, in our little community, our support forum, and saw that you had so many items listed as pain points, like TMG, like, uh, sorry, TMJ, like jaw, you had wrists, ankles. I mean, Give us a quick sort of uh, body scan of where you were, were affected. Yeah. So when I went the very first time I got sick, when I was only taking sulfasalazine, it was entirely in my feet, but it, it felt like every joint in my foot and the ankles. 
So that was really tough because I couldn't really like stand, which was really difficult. But then the second time when it came back, it was, yeah, it was like basically everywhere. Hands, wrist, jaw, back, neck, um, shoulders, knees, feet again, elbow. I couldn't like straighten my one elbow. And also I had it in my, my left eye. So I had to take the, um, the eye drops. So I guess technically, yeah, I guess technically it's not rheumatoid arthritis that I have. It's ankylosing spondylosis, but I mean, it functionally looks, the symptoms are pretty much exactly like rheumatoid, except sometimes my eye would get blurry. And was the diagnosis uveitis on the eye? Yeah, it was uveitis. Yeah, okay. Yeah, some serious stuff. Okay, and what does your doctor diagnose you as? Do they say a ankylosing spondylitis or rheumatoid? I think my official diagnosis is um, spondyloarthropathy, which is kind of like umbrella term. Uh, He hasn't narrowed it down because spondyloarthropathy includes either ankylosing spondylosis or psoriatic arthritis. And so far he can't really tell which of those two it is. So, yeah. Good luck telling right now, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how are you right now? I mean, in all those joints, which ones still have inflammation? None. Absolutely nothing. The only thing is like if you look at this finger, you can see it's like you can't really see on the camera. I have kind of like um what's it called? Like a nodule on that finger, but that's it doesn't hurt, like it's not inflamed anymore. It's just kind of like a permanent little record of what I've been through. Yeah. yeah, it is really, really sensational. And um, let's talk about, first of all, the triggers. Uh, let's talk about how you may have developed this. I know your story because, you know, we've communicated in the support forum, but can you share with others how you were actually plant-based when this started? So what do you think was the, the big trigger here? Yeah, so it was really interesting for me um, because well before I got sick, I was already a plant-based vegan, and I was also already exercising five days a week doing doing, uh, doing hot yoga. I've always been really into fitness and health. So when I got sick, I'm pretty sure that it had a lot to do with um, the, the amount of stress that I was under at the time, and just having really poor kind of coping or like stress management, I guess you could say, abilities. I got sick right after graduating from grad school. I was in the I was in the landscape architecture program and like I think the entire field of architecture is kind of notorious for people like not sleeping and working crazy hours. Right. So school school was definitely like that, but it was about 6 months or so after I graduated. The first job that I had out of school was kind of not I mean, I think I think it was like a toxic workspace, basically, Um, you know, it's like really demanding and my bosses were kind of angry (laughs) type people. And uh, I think especially with me, um, I did really well in school. So then transitioning from like being a, you know, a student with good grades to kind of being someone in an office who like literally knows nothing. And I was like having to ask a lot of questions because I didn't know how to do stuff. And I just, I got really, I was really scared a lot. I was really scared. Every time I had to ask a question, I was, it would stress me out because I'd be like, oh my God, my boss is so busy. I'm going to ask him this like dumb question. He's going to think I'm an idiot. And 
I carried, you know, I carried that amount of stress with me for like six months and kind of like always being afraid of getting fired. And, you know, it should come as no surprise now that eventually I just having that much pressure and stress on my shoulders. It, it did cause me to get sick. Another thing that I told you before is this kind of rheumatic arthritis does run in my family, but typically everyone else in my family, even going like way, way back, um, all, all the other family members I know that have had it, they didn't get it until they were in their seventies. So for me to get it at 26 was very strange. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Five years earlier than I got it. And I was, you know, considered young at 31 to, to get an autoimmune inflammatory disease. Now, you touched upon a couple of things there. I want to talk about, you know, this, the concept of stress and its relationship to disease activity or, or instigation. And I read a great book called Thrive by Brendan Brazier, which is, you might, he's Canadian as well, I believe. Okay. Um, and a vegan athlete. You're nodding, you know of him. I, I've heard of the book, but I haven't read it. Yeah, and he's an ultra marathoner, so one of these crazy 100 mile kind of runners, uh, where you're doing most insane kind of physical demanding sports, right? And um, he talks about stress in a way that I really, really uh, admired or, or learned from. He said that you know basically the stress can impact our body not just the way we think about it, which is via the mind and via our emotions through interpersonal stress, which is what you had going on with your boss or and probably other colleagues. And you're in this fight or flight mental state where you're basically holding on to fear this entire time that you're going to basically, you know, trigger something from your boss or get sacked or even worse, like be public humiliated in front of the other colleagues that you're stupid, right? You're worried about these things and yeah. you're holding that constantly. So it's very unnatural uh, to have this, you know, you wouldn't have that kind of constant fear month after month if we didn't live in a Western society, right? Mm -hmm. But he also talked about the physical stress our body can be under. You know, we can have physical stress from injuries or from overtraining and eating the wrong foods is a form of stress on our body because that has the body has to negotiate these foods that aren't natural, whether it be processed foods or, you know, foods that are excessively high in fat or whatever. And so all this, like, and the concept was that stress really is one of the underlying drivers of, of all health problems in different formats and different modalities, like I've just explained from that he talked about in the book. And so, you know, it really validates the onset of your condition. If, you know, we also recall a study that was done on students who had their microbiome uh, measured before their semester and then their levels of healthy gut bacteria was at only a 30% level during the week of their exams compared wow. to at the beginning. So I just want to reassure you and, and our listeners that stress is damn right going to cause a lot of problems if we're not really, you know, cautious of our ways of managing it. Yeah, totally. I absolutely agree with that. I so had, how, did you, how did you manage it? What did you do? I mean, how did you get out of this stressful scenario successfully without having no money and feeling like a failure? Well, <laughs> this is kind of funny to say, but I got fired from that job eventually. So it became like a right. self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it was kind of funny like when I did get fired I I was like happy I actually felt relieved I was like oh my god thank god it finally happened now I don't have to be afraid of this anymore and you I can kind of like compare it to it's like the same thing when you start having symptoms and you're like waiting to get diagnosed it's like then you get the diagnosis and you're like finally now it's like now that I can like treat the issue now that I know what's going on so I basically, I took a little bit of time off after that. Like, I think I took like two months where I didn't work and I just kind of, I did the Patterson program like full on from, from phase one. And uh, yeah, I eventually felt like I was at a place where I could get another job. And um, another thing I did was I went to therapy, which was also really helpful. I've been talking with a friend of mine lately and we both think that therapy is like very underrated. I also realized while I was doing therapy that I was also kind of struggling with a little bit of body dysmorphia at the time. So my therapist really helped me kind of undo that, which I think, you know, that's like another level of stress that um, was on there too. So I've yeah. never experienced that. I don't know what that is. Can you tell me what body dysmorphia is? It's actually, he told me it's actually something that's really common with people who have arthritis, but for a different reason. It's basically when you, um, you just kind of, you perceive yourself or your body as like having something wrong with it. Like you think that you are, I don't know, like you have some type of a like disfigurement or something like that, but it's only, it's kind of only in your mind, you know? So yeah, going to, going to therapy really helped me undo that, which was really good. Let's explore this a little further because it's come up. Another guest was talking about the benefits of therapy a few episodes ago. Can you talk about the ways in which you felt that the therapy helped? Well, I think one thing that like my therapist did with me was he had this kind of like test that he could do to see if I actually had that. And so we went through the test and then he was kind of able to explain to me objectively through the the verbal kind of quiz that he gave me that I had this like um this like thing this um uh mental I don't know illness I guess it didn't like yeah this kind of this body dysmorphia thing and that you know there actually wasn't these things that I thought were wrong with me were just kind of in my head and it was me just kind of being really really hard on myself unnecessarily so that was good and then he also he helped me kind of also figure out ways to deal with the stress in a more healthy way. Um, I have some notes here, actually. One thing, oh yeah. So one thing that I was able to do through talking with him was I stopped, I stopped trying to think about the ways that my illness was really limiting me and how it was holding me back. And instead I tried to kind of reframe it in my mind. And instead I thought about like the perspective that it gave me and, um, I know it sounds kind of, especially for people who are going through like really a really difficult time with their, with their um, illness right now. I know it's really hard to think about it this way because it is really limiting. But I would just try to focus on how, maybe yeah, it was helping me reframe the way I was looking at things. It made me a more empathetic person, or it made me um, just things like that. Another thing that he helped me do was rather than being afraid of failing all the time, I just tried to instead feel more confident in my abilities. So I would remind myself of achievements that I had in my career, um, like awards that I had won. And I would say, well, you know, obviously I'm not stupid. I'm 
good at my job because I won this award. Like, it's not that I'm stupid. It's that my boss needs to go to therapy. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, uh, some great insights in there. You know, one thing that I do, you know, with my, I've got, you know, limitations with my elbows and knee and so on. And when it, you know, if we if we stay on the train of train of discussion around how do we not feel oh we're hopeless because we can't I don't know run as fast or we can't play basketball whatever the thing might be I hone into a, some skills that I think are relatively impressive and I concentrate on those things that I can do and for me at the moment I'm just in a bit of a uh, on a roll with just doing pull ups and chin ups and I'm not exactly breaking records, but, you know, I'm competent and, uh, and it's developing more and more. And I, I focus my energy on that, you know, and I don't look at people who are sprinting past me while I'm on the path, walking on a path and, and, and focus on, oh, I'm so upset that I can't do that. I focus on the fact that I'm out there doing, you know, reasonable amounts of, uh, of stuff, particularly on elbows that have taken a lot of damage and I'm out there cranking them out. And I'm thinking, look, stick with that because while I think of that, I think I'm I'm progressing. I'm pleased with my abilities, and um, you know, yeah. So just that I could relate to what you said in that in um, in my life. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So much of this is in the mind. You know, yeah. this is a mental battle. Mm-hmm. I read um, a couple of books that helped me. Were um, oh, it's just over there. I should go look at the title. Oh, Oh, it's called You Are the Placebo by uh, That's a really, really amazing one. He really dives into how powerful the mind is. And um, I haven't finished it, but um, I think it's called When the Body Says No is another, is another good one. Um, another, another aspect, actually, that I could potentially talk about was um, and spiritually. I, um, during my healing, I, I took the, the spiritual aspect of it really seriously, too. And I got a... I got a spiritual teacher who was so instrumental as well. Please, um, yeah, expand on that. Yeah, sure, I'd love to. I mean, it's kind of difficult because, a lot, you know, some people, you know, spirituality is a very personal thing, but it was, like I said, it was very instrumental for me. And I think one of the, one of the main things that we worked on together was kind of, um, again, seeing, trying to see the, the suffering that I was in at the time as just being a small piece of kind of like the the whole huge experience that is my like my experience of life kind of thing. So even you know within the the work that I did with him we we definitely believed in or talked about like um reincarnation and things like that. So it it really helped me to kind of think of how my illness was teaching me lessons, like spiritual lessons that I could potentially carry carry with me. And even just within the the story of my life, um, the suffering, even when it was on or off, it they were just phases, you know, like I, I was never constantly in that worst, worst place of suffering for a long time because there were all, always harder drugs that they could give me to knock me out of it type of thing. And um, yeah, so I just, I tried to think of them as like little chunks in time along the whole thing and how each chunk would make me stronger. It's kind of cliche, but, um, but yeah. No, I, I'll, I'll just comment on that as well. My, 
wife, Melissa, has a spiritual teacher. She's had, um, his name is St. Rajinder Singh, and he is of Indian heritage and uh, has a massive following and teaches meditation, uh, essentially, and talks about how we can, you know, really <laughs> found, found all of our direction in life and guidance and everything via meditation. And it comes as no surprise that, that that's going to help us, right? Now, she also learns the, from his teachings about the concepts of reincarnation. And again, we won't talk about personal, we won't, you know, push any one way or the other. And I'm not going to go into my my beliefs about this. However, there's a beauty in the concept that they're all lessons. You know, everything we're going through are lessons. And whether or not it's one life or multiple, we can take those lessons and we can then make adjustments and we can evolve as a spirit. And we can be, like you said earlier, more empathetic to other people who are going through stuff. That's been a huge development of mine. I used to be very, (laughs) the opposite of that. I used to be so unaware of life's challenges until this one hit me like a ton of bricks. I had virtually everything going the way I wanted in my life and felt pretty much blessed in, in every way. And then this smashed that idealism that I had of my life. I literally had the mantra for years prior to rheumatoid that I was the luckiest person on earth. Like I really, and I used to just totally just indulge in that thought and completely believed it. And, you know, I can't say for sure if I really, you know, believe that anymore. I, I, it fleetingly comes in and out of my thoughts as opposed to being a really just a belief system that, that drove me. But these lessons uh, uh, make me much more humble, just like you've talked about, and empathetic. Now I look at someone, I, I can spot someone with a cane on the other side of a field of people playing soccer. And I look at that person, I think about, wonder how they're doing, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like you've talked about. Yeah. It also, the spiritual practice also helped me let go of um, feelings of like, um, how do I word this? Like wanting to blame the universe or whatever for doing this to me. You know what I mean? It was, it helped me like, yeah, let go of that kind of play the blame game with it and just kind of accepting it and trying to accept that it was happening so that I could learn from it. And, um, and yeah, with my, with the, my practice too, we also do lots of meditating and while, while we're in a meditative state, we, we ask for healing too. And, uh, I think it really works. <laughs> how long and how often do you meditate? I meditate every day. Not for, I used to have a much better practice and I, I would meditate for like 20 minutes a day. Right now it's probably only like five minutes a day, but I still make time for it. And one thing that I, I try to do is I choose a time every day to sit and do it, which I think also really really helps for me I kind of I kind of feel like I cheat but it's not really cheating I just do it before I go to bed and like I said right now I'm, I'm really busy I mean there really is no excuse like if I really wanted to make 20 minutes a day I could definitely do it but um lately yeah it's just been like five minutes before I go to bed I, I kind of just try to you know breathe and meditate and and ask for healing and and also ask for healing for like people in my life that I love and things like that as well 
hopefully soon I can get back into my 20 minute a day session because it is really, really beneficial, especially for stress management. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned the five minutes before bed. That's, that's my bread and butter. And I haven't been doing it the last week or so. We've had some, you know, homeschooling and there's all stuff going on here in Australia with the virus and stuff, just probably, you know, likewise around the world. But it's just, we had a period where it <laughs> felt like it didn't exist. And so now it's all having us, you know, this whole Delta variant vibe. So anyway, yeah, I, I've been getting to bed late and I, I've been skipping it. But, and I notice it. I notice it when I don't do it. It's the most valuable five minutes of my day. And I don't know why sometimes I decide to skip it. And uh, I think that's just the conscious brain making decisions. And uh, the conscious brain is the one we're trying to shut down. And so (laughs) it doesn't want to get shut down. Uh, So, no, I love that. And I put earplugs in. I sit cross-legged, lean against the backboard of my bed. And normally by about four and a half minutes, I'm thinking, I'm relaxed enough now. I feel like (laughs) sleeping. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I used to do it in the morning, which I think, well, I don't know. I feel like maybe societally there's like some kind of vibe that it's healthier to do it in the morning, which it probably is. But I'm not a morning person at all. I need, I, like I said, there was a point where I was waking up at like 6am every day. And, um, this is actually, yeah, when I was in the worst part of it, I would wake up at 6am. I would do an ice bath for my hands and feet. And then I would meditate for 20 minutes. Then I would make the Patterson uh, cucumber and celery juice. Then I would do some yoga and, uh, yeah, then I would kind of get on with my regular start the day type thing. Lately, it's been like more sleeping until like the absolute last minute that I that I can. But uh, yeah, I'll I'll try to get back into it soon. It's been really really busy. Also, not with COVID stuff, so just with regular work stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think the only thing that we a couple of things that I I want to go over. You had some dental work. I want to talk about that because people are often afraid about going to the dentist. And rightly so, because often there's associated antibiotic use and we have this known connection between antibiotic use and and the microbiome impact. So I want to talk about that. Then I want to talk about your exercise and how you feel that that has helped to maintain your you know happiness and also your health. And finally, I just want you to emphasize for us the most important factors for you that keep and have helped you get to where you are now. So just tips, things that people can say, oh, okay, yeah, I need to do more of that or, oh, I should do, I've never done that before. I know we've covered some. Meditation, for example. Everyone should do that. Me too, right? So, and uh, and this spiritual side of things, I believe we all should, you know, have a constant connection with a higher power. And we have talked about, the, we haven't gone into the diet, but I know you're on a plant-based diet. So let's let's get to those in a moment. But first, in order, let's start with the dental work. Uh, tell us what you had done, how significant that was, um, just how that went. <laughs> it was pretty significant. I um, <laughs> I had a I had a crossbite, so that's when the like basically my bite was kind of like a bulldog bite, like if, like the the no one can see them, but my um, the like canine teeth on the bottom would actually come in front of my front teeth. 
Oh, I see. It was like, so my teeth would bite like this, but then my, my bottom canine came forward a little bit. That was actually kind of the heart of what gave me the, the body dysmorphia type thing. I was like really, really, really self-conscious about it. And whenever I spoke to other people about it, they'd be like, oh, you're beautiful. You don't need to spend all that money on braces. Just accept it. And I think I like really beat myself up for a long time about like not being able to just like accept it the way I was. But then eventually I was like, let's just do what makes me happy. So I went uh, to the orthodontist and they gave me braces and then they had to do a little bit of surgery to bring these teeth forward more. And uh, yeah, now I have a, a perfect bite. I did have to take antibiotics after the surgery. I'm sorry to say I was a little bit nervous about it, but um, after I finished the antibiotics, I ate like a ton of uh, sauerkraut and tempeh and kombucha. It was mostly sauerkraut. I was eating sauerkraut like every day. And I think it seems like luckily I seem to have gotten away with it because I didn't have a relapse of symptoms, luckily. Yeah, it's fantastic. And in fact, you know, you look for positives in everything and, and maybe it, it, it's it's encouraged you to necess- necessarily eat lots of fermented foods, which has actually been helpful. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, so no consequences of the dental work and that short-term antibiotic use. I yeah. want to say for those people worried about their dental work and antibiotic use, that another member of our forum, she has just had uh, chest infection so it's not dental work, but it's antibiotics. And uh, she's taken antibiotics uh, course and her chest infection's gone. And she's had no consequences as well with her rheumatoid arthritis. Now, remember that we're in a community where we eat a, a plant-strong diet that supports the microbiome. So if I know you know this, but for our broader audience, uh, antibiotic interventions uh, for, for infections or infection prevention, like in your case, this can trigger more symptoms if you've got rheumatoid arthritis and we need to be careful. But when we're eating a diet that constantly feeds our healthy bacteria, the foods that they need to eat, well, we have an extra level of protection. So, you know, it's good to hear that you didn't have any issues with the antibiotics and nor did our, our other member who's just been through her chest infection a few weeks ago. Yeah. So that's great. And your teeth, yeah, they look beautiful. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I still have braces right now, but they're fighting together properly now, which is such a relief. It's so crazy. I'm 30 and uh, I've never had a bite like this before. It feels so good. It must, you know, these things get in our head and they become obsessions. And let's just, if we can afford it and we have the luxury of being able to, to get the procedure done, then, then, then wonderful, wonderful. Why not? Um, tell us exercise. You're a big exerciser. You actually won some awards, did you, with your ex, uh, sorry, with your performance uh, with sorry have you ever are, are you at like a, a, a high level of physical uh sorry um i want to say no. sport snowboarding skiing you're into all that oh yeah i do tons of sports i've never won an award i've won awards for my work as a landscape architect but <laughs> not for sports um, but yeah, I do a lot of sports. I used to, um, I actually recently just got into, um, hits, which is high intensity interval training. And I, I really love it. I think actually for me, I don't, I don't really know because there were so many things that I did to help my myself while I was healing, but 
from the day that I got rheumatoid in like 2017 up until like, I guess like 12 weeks ago, I could do almost, well, there, there were periods. Sometimes I could do almost all of the poses I wanted. Other days I, I just couldn't, but I could never sit on my feet. Um, mm. I don't know how to illustrate this, yeah. but like Japanese style. Yeah, exactly. Japanese yeah. style. I had to always sit cross-legged because when I sat on my feet, it hurt my feet so much. And, um, you know, we have to sit like that every single time I do a yoga class. So I was always really aware of it. But then I recently, I left the yoga studio that I was practicing at and I switched to a hit studio that also had yoga. Um, and that was really great because there was a real big variety. They, I would do like one day I would be doing bar, which is like ballet style um, fitness. Another day I would be doing boxing. Um, and then some days we would just be doing kind of more classic hit, which is like, you know, jumping jacks and push-ups, then Russian twists and, um, uh, dead bug, you know, all these kind of things. Um, and then other days I would be doing yoga. And I found that after doing this like diversity of these kind of strength training and cardio and flexibility, I got, I regained my ability to sit on my feet, which was so exciting. So I can do that again now. But other than that, yeah, I also snowboard. I cycle a lot. I love riding my bike. Riding my bike, actually, I feel like really saved me when I was in the worst part of my arthritis. When I, like I was saying before, I really like couldn't even stand, but I could still ride a bike because my feet didn't have to bear any weight while I was riding the bike. So I rode bike everywhere. Um, what else? Yeah, hiking. Um, I've tried some surfing, but I'm not very good at it. <laughs> With all this stuff, yeah. right? But the constant theme is that you're very active, and yeah. that the and that you're always pushing yourself, looking for ways to become fitter, stronger, faster, and so forth. And I could not, you know, want to share that message more with our audience. Do it, do it. If your body can can get to this, then see if it can get a fraction more without without causing any negative consequences. I, I like how you've. Uh, noticed that the variation of exercise has helped with the flexibility in your legs. And, I, and I've experienced examples of this before as well. And sometimes, um, you know, we do say a yoga sequence over and over and over again. The muscles learn exactly how to do those and not anymore sometimes. And it's about strength through range. And I learned this from a guy called he calls himself the knees over toes guy on yeah, on YouTube. He has his own website, obviously, a solid business. And Gabe, who's our our, our cyretic arthritis spokesperson That's inside cool. our forum, you know Gabe. Yeah. It's been several times in our podcast. He introduced me to knees over toes guy, and he counterintuitively suggests that we should try and load our our legs uh, with our knees forward above the toes, which every physical therapist says never do. But anyway, what we're trying to do conceptually here is to build strength through a full range of motion that a joint can go through rather than having a lot of strength just in a narrow portion of movement. So if we hold a squat at a 90-degree angle, our legs are strong to that point but maybe very weak below that point. And flexibility and strength are very intricately connected. Yeah. So if you if you are doing your hit and you're building strength 
with a deeper range of motion through some exercises, might not even be squats, might be lunges, might be other things. Then when you go to sit down on your heels, the body has strength through the extra range and it's happy to relax and let that down into to get that full range. Yeah, that's, that's my thoughts around it. That's interesting, yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know, may, I may not be right, but, in, but it tends to work that way that I've observed. Mm. Well, fascinating. So we've last thing is your tips. What have you, you know, like if you were to, I like the situation to paint the picture where you've, you've just met someone on an airplane and they're leaving, you'll never see them again. What quick advice would you give them before you, they disappear out of, out of your life forever? Yeah, so for me, um, I mean, you know, the diet and the exercise is really important. But in my case, it was it felt like it was almost entirely a mental game. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would say being able being able to think about like a bigger picture and and um, to try to get your head out of out of the like the suffering, you know, and to just kind of take a step back and try to um, accept things as they are a little bit rather than to be really um, resistant. For for me, the the spiritual practice was extremely important. Um, I've I've actually recommended a number of my friends who who were suffering with various things to look into this thing that I did, which was called. Um, Irfan Halga. There's lots of resources on online if you want to look at it. It's spelled E-R-F-A-N-H-A-L-G-H-A-H. That really helped me spiritually to, to, to ground myself and, and to just accept things as they were and to accept that they won't be this way forever, that things are moving, and to help me take a, a bigger perspective. And, uh, yeah, to, to learn healthy ways of managing stress. So for me, a big thing for that was to stop worrying about whether I was good enough and to just accept that, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be where I wouldn't have an opportunity to even try if, if I didn't have a chance, you know, like, yeah, to, um, to not question your, just just to believe in yourself more i think it's really good just be- believe that you can defeat the illness even if it takes a really long time sorry another thing i wanted to add is when i was doing the diet and the exercise on the patterson program my progress was so slow it was like glacial like i weeks would go by and i would feel no difference at all but i just stayed i just kept believing that it was possible. I kept watching your program and telling myself it is possible and it will happen for me. I just need to keep asking the universe for healing and doing everything that I can to make it happen and and believing that I'm a strong, capable person and people telling me otherwise just they don't even know me. Almost definitely and uh I, you know, I'm sure that others might be thinking the same thing I am, which is, um, you know, we look at you, we see someone who's young and looks very healthy and is attractive and 
um, physically, you you know, you achieve a lot with your sports and your in, and you've won won awards with your with your work. You know, on the outside, we've got someone who has no reason to feel anything other than confidence. And it just goes to show that, you know, we are really just a delicate little soul and we all need that support, love, encouragement, and we all need to be built up by other people around us to be able to realize how incredibly amazing we really are. And we easily get, you know, dragged down and that's that's something we all need to uh to 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 realize is that we're all magnificent and we we need to act out of magnificence so you know you've spoken to uh some people who are you know highly qualified in this not just me i'm just another person just having a chat with you but as a friend to a friend you know you don't need to worry about any of those things anymore Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, I know it can be difficult, but just be proud of how far you've come and how much you have survived through. I used to think about that a lot when my boss was really mean to me and stuff like that. I would say like, you know, he doesn't know what it's like to not be able to stand without pain and still show up for work every day and still not miss a deadline. So I would just feel like, you know, proud of myself in those moments and try to not feel sorry for myself, but proud of myself. And I think maybe that is like what I would say to the person leaving there. Well, they, that person would be very, very uh, lucky to have that information. <laughs> and, you know, you said at the start of this conversation, how this is full circle, you know, and how you used to watch these episodes and hopefully you still will. And, yeah. um, and always something new to learn. And and then now you're able to come and, and share information that can help others. And boy, uh, I think the people watching this or listening to this are going to get so much out of our conversation and what you've shared. So even more reason to say, look, there is a purpose to all this. There, there is value in suffering. There is no losing. There are only lessons. And so you've given you know, a gift today. And certainly I've learned so much from you and feel touched from the information that you've shared. So well done. Thank you so much. Really, really grateful. And uh, it's just been a wonderful chat. Thanks a lot, Clint. Yeah. And thank you for everything that, that you do. I don't think I could have done it without you. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.